Good morning, church family. It feels so good to be preaching to you all in person for a second week in a row. No sickness, no bad weather. God is good. Amen. Uh, But with that, let's be sure to continue to pray for more good health and more good weather as we flip our calendars to the month of March tomorrow. Nevertheless, as for today, today we as a church body will be finishing up the fourth chapter in the epistle of 1 John, working our way through 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. Now, if you can remember all the way back to last week, I shared with you all that the Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, that if we love one another, God abides in us and that his love is perfected in us. And those two themes are what the Apostle John really fleshes out and hones in on as he concludes chapter 4. Thus, as we saw last week in verses 13 through 16, John focused on the theme of God abiding in us. For he wrote in verse 13, By this we know that we abide in God and God in us because he has given us of his spirit. Meaning that we as Christians can know and have confidence that we abide in God and that God now abides in us because we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Which naturally leads to the question, well, how does one know that they possess the gift of the Holy Spirit? And thus the Apostle John offers his Christian readers two distinctions or two marks that will help them determine if the Holy Spirit does in fact abide in them. The first being, verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Meaning that all regenerate Christians, all Christians who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, they naturally hold to and believe and confess that Jesus is the Son of God as revealed to them in God's most holy word. However, church, confessing and believing and holding to the right doctrines concerning Jesus Christ, as vital as that is, that isn't the only distinction that the Apostle John shares with his Christian readers. For John also writes that a heart of love is also evidence that one possesses the Spirit of God as well. And John concludes this because, verse 16, God is love. And thus, since God is love, and since God now abides in the Christian, the Christian then is naturally going to abide in the love of God. Therefore, your love, Christian, your natural, genuine, abounding love for God and love for his children, that is proof. That is evidence and validation and confirmation that God's Holy Spirit, that he now abides in you and that you are indeed a child of the Most High God. However, as for today, John turns his attention away from the theme of God abiding in us, verses 13 through 16, and instead focuses on the theme of love being perfected in us, in verses 17 through 21, which takes us to our thesis statement this morning, or the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Christian, you have been loved by God. Thus be confident concerning the day of judgment and love each other. Again, our thesis statement this morning is this. Christian, you have been loved by God. Thus be confident concerning the day of judgment and love each other. And again, our text this morning is 1 John chapter 4, and we'll be in verses 17 through 21. 
which can be found on page 1023 in our church Bibles, which are located in the chairs in front of you. Thus, at this time, church, let's all turn to 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 21, and hear God's word together this morning as one body. For the Apostle John, he writes, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, to love you is to love the church. It is to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, as we see our love for each other, let it give us confidence that we know our faith is real and genuine and that we are secure in you. That come the day of judgment, we do not rely on our own works or our own righteousness, but we rely on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Father, give us a boldness, a confidence to cling to this through every season we go through in the here and now. Father, we thank you for the sweetness of this text this morning and for the beauty of the epistle of 1 John that we have been studying through since September. Father, I pray that you open the eyes of this dear flock, open their ears this morning, and soften their heart as John continues to focus on this theme of loving each other. And Father, I pray for your help this morning. Lord, give me the words to speak. Let them be bold, clear, confident in you, and above all else, displaying the truth that you have given us. Father, I pray that you be glorified this morning through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning is this, church. Point number one, Christian, you have been loved by God. Let's be confident concerning the day of judgment. Christian, you have been loved by God. Thus be confident concerning the day of judgment. Verses 17 and 18. The Apostle Johnny writes, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The day of judgment. What goes through your mind, church, when I say the day of judgment? For we will all be judged, and there are only two potential outcomes that await us in eternity. For there is outcome number one, which is that of eternal life, and there is outcome number two, which is that of eternal punishment. And thus, with those two outcomes in mind, church, is the day of judgment a day that you have assurance and certainty and confidence about, 
Or does the day of judgment bring forth in you feelings of nervousness, self-doubt, or maybe even that of fear? And thus with the day of judgment as our backdrop this morning, the Apostle John, he opens verse 17 with, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Now the by this here, in verse 17, it actually refers back to what we studied last week in verse 16 which reads, whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And thus, when we as Christians abide in love and abide in God, as God abides in us, love then, verse 17, it's perfected. Meaning, as John Piper put it, that God's love in us comes to completion or it comes into action. Thus, perfected love is the love of God being expressed or displayed in our love for each other. And the result of this perfected love, church, or the result of the love of God abiding in us and being expressed and displayed in how we love each other, it is that we, the children of God, verse 17, have confidence for the day of judgment. Now, why would that be the case? That the children of God, who have the love of God abiding in them and who naturally love each other, why would that give them confidence concerning the day of judgment? And the answer that John gives is in verse 17, as he writes, Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Or as Jesus Christ is, so also are we the children of God in this world. And what John means by that is this, that because we, the children of God, now have God's Spirit abiding in us, which allowed us to embrace Jesus Christ by faith as the very Son of God, we too then are going to also naturally begin to grow in Christ-likeness. For as the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Therefore, Christian, although we will never be perfect like Jesus Christ and or display perfect love like Jesus Christ while we are still here on this earth, we will, however, because of our eternal union with Jesus Christ, be sanctified, meaning via the power of the Holy Spirit, we will progressively be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ as the word of God is believed and obeyed. And thus, as we see in our lives, Christian, over time, we see our lives begin to look more and more Christ-like as we display Christ-like love to each other, as we Love the least of these and feed the hungry, care for the sick, clothe the poor, and sacrifice for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Those growing and consistent expressions of Christ-like love in our life, they should give us confidence, church, that we are not who we once were. But we have indeed been washed and are being sanctified and have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. For we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters who can now cry out to God as Abba, Father. For the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Thus, do you think for a second church that a child of the Most High God 
a child with the spirit of adoption who is now a fellow heir with Jesus Christ, that they need to be fearful of the day of judgment? Absolutely not. Therefore, Christian, as you see yourself day by day, month by month, year by year, growing in Christ's likeness and expressing the love of God more and more in your life, that should give you confidence that your faith in Jesus Christ is real, that you have been justified, that you are being sanctified, and thus have nothing to fear on the day of judgment. Because your standing, your identity, and your status before the God of the universe, it is no longer based on your good works or your own righteousness. But your standing before the God of the universe is now based on the work and the accomplishment of Jesus Christ. And thus, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You see, church, perfect love, or the perfected love of God displayed in our lives, it casts out the fear of eternal judgment. Because fear here, in verse 18, it has to do with punishment. For it is what the reformer Martin Luther called a servile fear or the kind of fear that an individual would have for their executioner. Author Samuel Clark, in his book, The Marrow of Ecclesiastical History, shared this about the Puritan William Perkins, who on one occasion encouraged a young man who was sentenced to be hung to death. And right before he was hung, the prisoner looked out at the gathered crowd with such distress that he already looked half dead. Thus Perkins said to him, You man, what is the matter with you? Are you afraid of death? To which the young man explained to Perkins that he was afraid of something even greater, of what comes after death. Thus Perkins replied, Come down from there, man, and you shall see what God's grace will do to strengthen you. So the prisoner came down and they kneeled together to pray. And Perkins prayed such a fervent prayer of confession of sins and of its consequences that the man burst forth into an abundance of tears. Thus, when seeing this effect, Perkins then began the second part of his prayer, displaying Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world who would extend his hand of mercy and deliver the man from God's eternal wrath. And it was during this prayer that the prisoner's eyes were open to see how the black lines of all of his sins were crossed out and canceled with the red lines of his crucified Savior's precious blood. And thus new showers of tears of joy streamed down the man's face. For the man gave such a powerful expression of God's grace to the onlookers that even they lifted their hands and praised God to see such a blessed change in his life. For the man then rose from his knees and went to the gallows with confidence and cheerfulness. For he had been delivered from hell and heaven now awaited to receive his soul. You see, Christian, when you truly have the love of God abiding in you and conforming you and manifesting itself in all that you do, in no way do you ever, ever, ever need to fear the punishment of eternal death, for you have been saved, Christian, from that eternal punishment. Thus, that is why the Apostle John concludes that the love of God and the eternal punishment 
the fear of eternal punishment, they do not mix church. For they are like water and oil, orange juice and toothpaste, my bare feet and my children's Legos laying all over the living room floor. For they are simply incompatible, inconsistent, and incongruent with each other. Because those who possess God's love and who express God's love in all that they do, they know and have confidence then that they are indeed the children of God. And thus, as the children of God, they do not see God as their executioner, but they see him as their gracious and loving Heavenly Father. Thus, do not think for a second, Christian, that you need to fear the day of judgment and of the punishment that awaits the children of the devil, because you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have the spirit of adoption, Christian, as sons and daughters who can now cry out to God as Abba, Father. And thus there is absolutely no reason, Christian, to fear eternal punishment or judgment or wrath, because Jesus Christ, he has already paid that punishment for you, cleansed you of your sin, and clothed you in his righteousness. Thus your eternal identity, your standing, your position, and your status before the God of the universe is that you are now adopted into the family of God as his children and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, eternally confident in the perfected love of God. Amen, church. Which brings us to point number two. Christian, you have been loved by God. Thus keep his commandments and love one another. Christian, you have been loved by God. Thus keep his commandments and love one another. Verses 19 through 21. We love because he loved us first. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now we have talked a lot about our love for each other over the past couple of weeks. For John has written thus far, for, thus far in chapter 4 alone, Beloved, let us love one another, verse 7. Beloved, we also ought to love one another, verse 11. And if we love one another, God abides in us, verse 12. However, make no mistake, church, the only reason that we can actually love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ is because, as John writes in verse 19, God, he loved us. And we must never, ever, ever forget that, Christian, that God, that he loved us. For it was God, Ephesians 1, who chose us in the Son, in Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, Christian. For it was in love that God predestined us, Christian, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Therefore, make no mistake, Christian, for it was God who loved us First, And it is only because we have experienced the love of God, been born of the love of God, now know the love of God, and believe in the love of God, that we can, verse 19, love. That we can now love our Heavenly Father right back. However, that love, church, that love for God, it is naturally going to express itself and manifest itself and come pouring out of us in how we love each other. 
Thus John writes in verse 20, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. For John forcefully asserts here that if anyone says, I love God, but then turns around and hates his brother, he is a liar. He's a phony, a con man, a fibber, a deceiver. Now, why is the Apostle John so blunt in his assessment? Or how can the Apostle John come to the conclusion so vehemently that if someone says they love God but hate their brother, that they must be a liar? Well, as John explains in verse 20, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And what John is doing here, church, is simply making a lesser to greater argument, if you will. Which goes something like this, that those who claim to love God, but who do not love their brother in deed and in truth, that those who say with their mouths, yes, I love God, but who ignore and reject and hate their brother who they can see is cold and has no coat, who they can see is hungry and has no food, who they can see is sick and has no cure, John concludes that those people who say they love God, but who ignore and reject and hate their brother who they can see is obviously in need, those people, they are liars, for they cannot really love God. And how exactly does John know this? Or how does he come to this conclusion? Well, because loving your brother and sister who you can see, it is easier than loving God who you cannot see. Thus, if you say you love God, but you literally see the same people week in and week out, day in and day out, struggling to make ends meet, and you consistently ignore them and turn your back to them and reject caring for their needs, then John says, in essence, then how am I supposed to believe that you could really love a God who you cannot? For that is John's rationale here. And it is also the rationale of the 16th century Protestant pastor Hugh Latimer, who said this to his large congregation during the days of the Reformation. That you can build a hundred churches, fill them with gold statues and candles as big as oaks. But if you do not love your neighbor, feed the hungry and clothe the naked, you will go to hell in spite of it all. And thus John closes chapter 4 of his epistle this way. For he writes in verse 21, Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. For you see, church, our love for God and our love for each other, they go together hand in hand. For they are intertwined, interwoven, conjoined, and they cannot be separated. Because to truly love God is to truly love his children. For Jesus said this to his disciples in John chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then in chapter 15, Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Thus, to love God is to keep his commandments, church. And to keep his commandments is to love one another as Christ has loved us. Thus, our love, church, it is the hallmark, it is the seal, the stamp, and the telltale sign that we do truly abide in God and love God. Therefore, it doesn't matter, church, 
what you say about God or how holy your prayers are. It doesn't matter how much money you give or how much time you spend at the church. It doesn't matter what ministries that you are a part of or how long you have been a member here. If you do not love your neighbor, feed the hungry, and clothe the naked, as Hugh Latimer put it, you will go to hell in spite of it all. Because for you to not love your neighbor, it is to prove that you do not love God. With that said, church, I'll close this morning by beginning with the non-Christian who is here first. A non-Christian, when we opened the sermon this morning, I began by making mention of the day of judgment. For we will all be judged. And as I said earlier, there are only two potential outcomes that await us in eternity. For there is outcome number one, which is that of eternal life. And there is outcome number two, which is that of eternal punishment. And those who have the love of God abiding in them, and who are presently expressing and displaying that love in how they love each other, the Apostle John made clear that they do not need to fear the day of judgment. For the Christian status, their identity, and their standing before the God of the universe is that of adoption. For they are sons and daughters and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. However, non-Christian, lovingly, that is not where you stand before the God of the universe this morning. For you still stand dead in your sins, guilty of your trespasses, and running a hell-bound race which leads to eternal death. For that is currently what awaits you, non-Christian, on the day of judgment. And quite frankly, it will be terrible. However, non-Christian, there is still hope for you. For there is still a way to escape the eternal punishment that you deserve for your sins. For God the Father, he sent a Savior into this world to save his people from their sins. And that Savior non-Christian, his name is Jesus Christ. For he is truly God and truly man. And he came into this world and lived a life unlike any other man. For Jesus Christ, he lived a life that was sinless and righteous and perfect and committed absolutely no sin, thus fulfilling perfectly the law of God for the children of God. However, the work of Jesus Christ, non-Christian, it did not stop there. Because the debt and the punishment that we deserve for our sins, Jesus Christ, he also paid that debt and bore that punishment. For Jesus Christ took upon himself our sins and was crushed on our behalf, crucified in our place, and died on a cross as our very substitute. However, the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ, non-Christian, it perfectly appeased the wrath of a holy God toward the sins of his children. Thus, three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead and displayed to the world that he had defeated sin and defeated death and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, who can clothe you in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. 
You see, non-Christian, to place your faith in Jesus Christ, it is to no longer fear death. For to place your faith in Jesus Christ is to know and be confident and secure that you have been forgiven of your sins, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and now stand justified before the God of the universe, adopted into his family forever. Thus, put your mind at ease this morning, non-Christian, and place your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, the doors of heaven, they will be opened to you. And to the Christian who is here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, I am not sharing anything groundbreaking here when I say this, but we are currently living in a society that is flush with that of dread, flush with that of fear, flush with that of terror. And fear, it can have a profound impact on us, even as Christians. For fear can keep us quiet when we should speak up. Fear can keep us seated when we should stand up. Fear, it can keep us cowering when we should step up. Reverend William Jones wrote that one of the most gifted speakers in church history was a man by the name of John Chrysostom. For his name comes from the Greek word meaning golden-tongued. However, Chrysostom was sent from Antioch to what was then Constantinople, where he preached fearlessly in the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire. His denunciation of the lavish lifestyles of the rich and the ruling class and his condemnation over indulgence infuriated many, including the empress, who arranged for him to be exiled. When he was told of his fate, Chrysostom responded, What can I fear? Will it be death? But you know that Christ is my life, and thus I shall gain by death. Will it be exile? But the earth is all full of the Lord's goodness. Will it be loss of wealth? But we brought nothing into the world and can carry nothing out. Thus all the indulgences of the world are despicable in my eyes, and I smile at all of its good things. Poverty I do not fear, riches I do not cry for, and death I do not shrink from. For the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five. Church, within the context of our passage today, when John says in verses 17 and 18, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And in essence, what's being communicated here is that those who possess the love of God, or who now have the Spirit of God abiding in them, are those who are being sanctified or being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, which is apparent by their love for one another. And those people, they have no reason then to fear the day of judgment because they are the children of God. And they have been saved by Jesus Christ from the punishment that they deserve for their sin. However, if I could expand on this confidence motif for just a second here church this confidence that we are now, that we now have as the children of god it is not something that we just need to punt to the end times and display only on the day of judgment 
Because the confidence that we now have in our status as the children of God, as those who will not face eternal punishment, but who will instead be raised with Jesus Christ to endless life, that eternal confidence, church, that should filter down into every area of our lives in the here and now and give us a boldness, church, and a backbone, church, to be willing to love each other and to stand with each other as brothers brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter what the world may throw our way. I mean, our eternal confidence in Jesus Christ, it should give us a boldness in the here and now to love and to stand with our sisters when they are slandered for their Christian beliefs. It should give us a bravery to love and to call out sin in our brother's life when they say one thing and do another. It should give us a courage to love and to back our pastors when they are thrown into jail for preaching the gospel. To love and to tell our teens that homosexuality is an abomination before God. To love and protect our children from this transgender movement. To love and to give voice to the unborn who are unable to speak for themselves. For our eternal confidence in Jesus Christ, church, it should compel us and drive us and empower us to radically love the bride of Jesus Christ, no matter the cost. And the crazy thing here is this, brother Christian, sister Christian, the more you love the bride of Christ, the more you love his church, the more you love one another, the more your confidence is going to grow concerning the day of judgment. Because those who are currently being sanctified church, oh, they've already been justified, and thus come the day of judgment, they will also be eternally glorified with the Lord. Thus have confidence this morning, Christian, for the punishment that you deserve for your sins, Jesus Christ, he already paid it. And let that confidence that you now have in Jesus Christ take action and love one another in all that you do, no matter the consequences. For sure, the world, they may try to hurt the body, Christian, but our salvation, it is secure in Jesus Christ, and that is where our eternal confidence lies. Thus, it is my prayer that we as a church body cling to the confidence that we now have in Jesus Christ. For we hold that we are justified by faith apart from works of the law. And because we have been justified, we are now also being sanctified and conformed into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, when we see faith and love in our lives, Father... Let it give us a boldness and a courage and a confidence that we have been saved through eternity. And let this confidence then make its way into every area of our lives. To boldly live and love like Jesus Christ no matter the cost. For we know, Christian, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, why is our confidence in you so shallow? You are the God of the universe who created all things. With the power of your word, you sustain all things. And yet if we don't get the raise we want, if our kids don't behave how we want, we lose confidence in everything. Father, the fact that we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ 
and through eternity, we no longer get the punishment that we deserve, but that the Son, Jesus Christ, came into the world, bore that punishment for us, kept the law for us, taking our sins upon himself and imputing his righteousness onto us, all so that we could be reconciled back to God forever and ever and ever. Father, help us live for you. Yes, there may be consequences for us in the here and now. But it is folly. The world is folly. Father, help us to cling to you, to be bold for you, and to be confident in you in all that we do. For as we love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, Oh, it gives us confidence that we are being sanctified into your image. For we know that we've been justified. And for the day of judgment, we will be eternally glorified with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us as a church body to cling to that now and forevermore. Father, to you be the glory forever and ever. Amen.